Make the choice to begin anywhere in your life, and the journey has started. We exist more than just to educate. We exist to also revitalize. And along the way, you can inspire others and be inspired. But now there's a new generation of scholars, and I am among them. If you really want to know who you are and what you are capable of, Howard is the choice for you. Take a moment. Listen to the stories by joining the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, and his guest on The Journey. Howard University Hospital and the College of Medicine have a long history of serving the community and transforming the way healthcare is delivered to African-American men and women by educating, training, and developing black physicians. This legacy has been strengthened throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, when the hospital and college continue to provide vital services during a devastating crisis and challenging circumstances. Hello, my name is Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today on The Journey is Dr. Hugh Mighty, Howard's new Senior Vice President of Health Affairs and the outgoing Dean of the College of Medicine and Vice President of Clinical Affairs. So Dr. Mighty, welcome to The Journey. Thank you, sir. My pleasure to be here. So I know we've spoken to you before about things in the College of Medicine and your own career. What I want to spend some time today with uh, would be reminding our audience about some of that, but really spending time on looking forward. So we, first, let's start looking back just a, a bit. You were born and raised in Jamaica, my favorite place, the holiday. I hope my um, <laughs> listeners from Trinidad and Tobago don't get upset um, about that. But what part of Jamaica uh, were you born and raised? B born in um, Kingston, um, but spent most of my time in uh, Port Antonio. Okay, so. excellent. And, w and how did you end up migrating to the U.S.? Oh, geez, my mother. Okay. <laughs> my mother's long, long story, but yeah, my mother uh, migrated to the U.S. for opportunities. And then finally, I was able to follow her. And Faith and Circles actually came around because she worked in New York for the longest time. I came here, moved to, went to undergraduate college at Georgetown. Okay. She actually lost her job in New York. We moved, she moved down here so we could find a job. She looked for a job for a year. And of all the places she ended up, actually was at Howard University. Oh, you can was here for wow. 16 years, so yes. Oh, excellent, excellent. And what area did she work in? She was in human resources. Okay. And so after Georgetown undergrad, um, where did you attend medical school? I went to the University of Maryland up okay. in Baltimore, spent my time there, um, graduated from there, did my residency training, actually an OBGYN at the University of Maryland, then went and spent three years with public health service in an underserved community in Pimlico up in uh, Baltimore. Right. Um, got um, interested in high-risk obstetrics because of the number of teenage pregnancies we saw at the time and the number of sick patients we took care of. And someone suggested to me, if you're going to do this, you should just make a career of it. So went back to Maryland, did a fellowship in high-risk obstetrics. And in the middle of that fellowship, someone says, if you're really going to do this, you really should learn some more. So I did a critical care fellowship as well okay. in the shock trauma center. So I combined those two and became a critical care obstetrician. And obviously, um, you spent some time at the University of Maryland. Um, in that department. I believe you ended up chairing the department. Um, what was that experience like and how did that prepare you for some of your future roles? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, I wasn't expecting to be a chair. I didn't start out thinking that I, I was ever going to be a chair. I was, I was really engaged in delivering care at first hand and I had a, a mentor there and one day we were out running and he said to me, um, how many patients will you take care of this year that really need your help as a special in a specialist and I, I said probably 100 120 mm -hmm. he says imagine for a moment if you 
had others like you, how many do you think they could take care of? Which got my interest in trying to teach, really looking at teaching as a career mm -hmm. and managing as a career. And so from there, I was wanting to say, if I can double the number of me there are, they'll take care of exponentially so many more patients of need. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started down that road. And mm -hmm. being able to do that sort of helped prepare each step prepared me for something else that was larger than the one I had before. So, you know, obviously you, you already, I would say, in the middle of changing your swim lanes and focusing on the new senior VP of Health Affairs role, which obviously um, would take you into a lot of strategic 30,000 foot um, type of planning. What are some of the things, um, you know, you envision uh, playing in this new role and then what are those opportunities and or challenges that you think uh, you know may come with it as well so I, I think first of all the opportunity to step learning what I know about just medical school and the medical school environment Howard is unique it has all of the health sciences school and I think we're moving to a time where team-based medicine is going to be the best medicine for the future especially when dealing with underserved communities and, and I look forward to the opportunity of being able to partner with so many others and bring the specialties together so that, and, and my physician colleagues may hammer me for this, but I always say, you know, um, physicians are not the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. It's really being part of a team and there are others who can spend more time sometimes. A pharmacist can spend a lot of time managing diabetes. Um, you cannot manage the complications of diabetes, but a lot of times just managing diabetes, a pharmacist may be better at that. Nurses and especially advanced practice nurses are better at spending time at a patient bedside. Nurse midwives do a great job at delivering care and so forth. So being able to build that out and then involve the, the other corners of that, which is social work. Social work is so involved, we don't think of them as being the healthcare part, but they're part of a team. So the ability to do that with the following, to do that and to be able to bring affordable care to underserved communities. Mm -hmm. That's really going to be the hook, is be able to, to really do that. And last but not least, I'm a geek at heart, innovation. There's yeah. so much technology now that can help us lead better lives. Again, making it affordable, being able to deliver that into communities so that we have a reach into communities as opposed to having them come to us all the time. You're listening to The Journey. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today is Dr. Hugh Mighty. Howard's new Senior Vice President of Health Affairs and outgoing Dean of the College of Medicine and Vice President of Clinical Affairs. So you, you, you mentioned obviously access to care and, and what underserved communities go through. The pandemic has exacerbated that. Um, and you, Sydney, have been pivotal in terms of leading the charge of the university, not just internally with testing and uh, vaccine distribution, but also in the community. What has that been like and what do you see in terms of where we are in the pandemic uh, presently? Yeah, so biggest lesson I've learned about the community, education. We often think we know how to get it there and in the last year and a half I've learned to really listen a lot more. Um, when recently we did a town hall with the District of Columbia's high schools and, and listening to the parents that, you know, folks says, well, people don't want to get vaccinated. It really, the question wasn't, we don't want to get vaccinated. It was, we don't know enough. And no one is talking to us as if they want, they're telling us to do it, but they're not telling us why or how to do that. So learning to listen to communities, I think, has been a big part of my journey in the last year and a half, is trying to understand what do they need and how do they get there. I think the pandemic has reached an endemic stage. I think Omicron and the speed with which it's moving across the country is going to 
sort of declare us that we're going to be pandemic. And so either we're going to be vaccinated or infected, one or the other. But we will right. get to a point where we will learn to live with the virus. Um, obviously, I am a proponent of vaccinations. We do so many other things with vaccines to protect our kids and ourselves. This really, I think, is just another one of those. And so I think it will settle down and we will come to a point where we will not do ever business as usual because the pandemic has exposed so much. Um, but we will get there. And obviously, bringing students back to campus is a key issue. Uh, it's, well, it's been well documented that the mental health um, fatigue, as it were, on students, on young people in general, not being in, in school, in-person learning, um, the difficulties with accessing virtual learning. So with those things in mind, um, what are some of the things you think we've been really having to grapple with uh -huh. in order to make this successful? And, and, and how is it going thus far, in your opinion? So the first thing I would say about why bring people back into a campus, and it's very basic. We are social beings. When we separate from each other, especially when we separate young people from each other, we don't develop very good social fabric, and it's important that we do that. How we deal with each other face-to-face, -face, how we interact, there's only so much that you can do on a television, and remote learning is a television. That's really what it is. So I think it's very important, especially for the community of students that we have. We, got, we have many students who come from underserved populations, mm -hmm. and there's a big difference in that community and this community. So that's the first thing. We, we have a challenge, obviously, because we have to keep them safe. We have to make sure that we're safe. So we follow the science. We do all the things that we think we can do. We will not prevent every single infection. It's, it's just inevitable or not. But we can respond to every single infection that we see. And we're well equipped at Howard to do that, right? From everything from, you know, our student services right up to a hospital. We have a hospital here that we can respond quickly. So I think that this is as safe an environment as you're going to find anywhere in the United States for making this happen. And I think it's just very important. So how are we doing? Well, we went from zero students to 10,000. And like everything else, we're having, you know, the first week hiccups when something, you turn something on, it doesn't necessarily work. But we have been responding. We have been able to test everybody who comes in for testing. And we're turning our results over. We've activated the systems we are. And as, we, as quickly as we find a gap, we're plugging the, the gaps. And, and what are the expectations around testing? So our expectations around testing is to make sure we test weekly. Again, it's mm -hmm. important to know what that baseline is so that we can respond to it. If there's an uptick, it may signal that there's a different variant. That's basically when Omicron came about, we recognized something was different within that week when it first hit because of how many cases we suddenly saw, which we'd never seen before, especially in people who might have been vaccinated. So having that baseline informs us as to what we should expect and how we plan for the future. When the baseline falls and everyone's vaccinated and boosted, we may be able, again, to loosen the restrictions, but right now testing every week is our expectation. Right. Uh, to switch gears a bit, obviously you're overseeing the project primarily um, with Adventus uh, on the hospital. What's the status of the deal and uh, probably provide the audience with an update on uh, any work on the new hospital? Well, so there, there's, um, we're moving progress. Progress is steady. It's slow at points, but it's steady because, again, this is a, to me, this is an alignment for life. This has to outlive you and me and so many others to come after us. Um, and so we're being very steady and deliberate 
about how we bring this together on both sides. The first side of this is Howard needs to be able to maintain its mission to serve, to teach, and educate minorities forever. Adventist has a similar mission, and they're very good at running hospitals. That they're about clinical engine that's extremely good. So we're trying to bring those together without sacrificing either one. So having that careful a partnership takes time. So we're, we are moving, we are progress. Um, in terms of the new hospital, we, are, you know, we have plans to make that happen. We're trying to work together to put together, again, solid financing plan to make it happen because it has to be sustainable along the way. And it's not just a hospital, right? It is the core powered that we're talking about being able to do. And hopefully that will be an academic health center which involves training medical students. So hopefully it's not just the hospital, but we're able to put an academic complex with it to have a full-blown academic health center that will carry on beyond us. And I think as I close, you've been here now um, since 2015. You've navigated a hospital that was losing significantly. The hospital has now been in the black. You're working on this new arrangement, lowering student debt, increasing number of applications to the medical school. As you uh, look down the road for the SBP, what are some of the things that uh, we should be excited about seeing coming out of uh, this new role and, and your office? I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm excited about two things. One is the opportunities that are coming up to really build science. Right? So again, we're, we're, we're looking at um, other agents getting together with us to look at building innovation pro products. The, so the opportunity to really build science, not just at the medical school level, but across the campus, and to do it in an innovative way, to leverage things that are new sciences, meaning proteonomics and, and things like um, metabolomics. They have all the omic names to them. But our larger institutions around the country are already participating in this, and we need to catch up. Again, we have all the tools we need. We don't necessarily have all the resources that we need to make that happen. So spending time to build that out and making Howard known and be a partner in how to do that is, is one of the more exciting things that I, that I see. And the second one is getting it back into the community. That's going to be the trick. How do we make, have better physicians pulling together resources that they need and Howard being able to be sort of the, the underpinnings of that, the foundations to help physicians in communities that usually don't get relief. They're solo physicians, bringing knowledge to them and making that accessible so we have better care. So those are two of the things that I'm excited about and looking forward to being able to do in this new role. Excellent. Well, I certainly thank you for the role that you've played thus far. You've been an integral part of uh, my leadership team. And I want to thank you for being here. My guest today was Dr. Hugh Mighty, Howard's new Senior Vice President of Health Affairs and outgoing Dean of the College of Medicine and Vice President of Clinical Affairs. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Please join me next time on The Journey.